0: Joining me now in our town is a gentleman named Joe Piscatella. Now, Joe is a 41-year survivor of bypass surgery. He is one of the oldest living survivors of bypass surgery. He's written countless books on, I believe, 17. seventeen, Is books, what we're right. up to now. You've been a, a host of PBS specials, yes, and sir. on many of the the morning shows that are nationally syndicated.
1: Yeah, people seem to have a, a, quite an interest in the story uh, and in heart health and heart, conversely, heart disease. So uh, the message that I preach is that it's less about genetics. Uh, you can't, and even if it were genetics, you can't change your parents. More about the way we choose to live. So, uh, how, what's your diet? Do you choose to exercise? Do you smoke uh, cigarettes? Um, what's your stress level? All of those kinds of things. So I'm in town uh, at the invitation of Peace Health to do a program on what are the barriers. That get in the way of us living a healthy lifestyle. Let's get
0: some background on this now, because 41 years ago, you were an awfully young man to yes. have experienced this. What was going on in your life that brought you to this point? Obviously, I'm just guessing and not judging, but some unhealthy living, maybe.
1: Well, I was living the typical American lifestyle. It wasn't different from you know a lot of people. Uh, Fast food? I, I grew up. Not necessarily so. so much fast food, but I grew up in a, at a time when the recommendation was eat a lot of red meat, drink a lot of whole milk for strong bones and healthy teeth, so I did. Uh, I was smart enough not to smoke, but I grew up in Connecticut, and you know, much like Florence, the doors and the windows are going to be closed seven or eight months out of the year. I had two parents that smoked. I don't blame them because they didn't know, mm-hmm. but I paid a terrible price for secondary smoke. Um, I was physically active. I played two sports in high school and two sports in college. But in those days, when you came out of college, you stopped. You played a little social golf, a little social tennis, but no one was talking about aerobic exercise. And I was under stress. I had my own business, but everywhere I looked, people were under stress. So what I didn't realize was the combination of this American lifestyle, of the choices that we make that, that creates a lifestyle, was really going to penalize me. I didn't realize it till I was playing uh, tennis uh, and I got a little pulling sensation in the middle of my chest and I disregarded it. Went back the next day and played, got a little pulling sensation in the middle of my chest, so I disregarded it. I played tennis the next day, the next day, the next I played for 30 straight days, never missed a day. And on the 30th day, I no longer had a little pulling sensation. I, I had kind of a white-hot pain and I couldn't catch my breath. So I went to see my family physician where I had been four months earlier for a complete physical that was perfect. I didn't even make an appointment. I burst into his office and promptly announced, I have bronchitis, you know, take a look at my lungs. And they did. They were good people. They looked at my lungs, said, nothing wrong here. As long as you're here, let's do an electrocardiogram. Well, I had had one done four months earlier that was perfect, so I wasn't thinking about it. But I took the electrocardiogram, and uh, the doctor said, gee, something's wrong with my machine. I'm getting a bad reading. Let's do it again. And I said, okay. So I got back up on the table. He kicked the machine once or twice, flipped the switch. He said, Joe, there's nothing wrong with my machine. There's something wrong with you. You have a heart problem. I said, doc, you're crazy. I'm 32 years old. I play tennis every day of my life. You know, uh, four months ago, I was in here on this very table, and you said everything was perfect. You can't be serious. This can't be a serious situation. He said, let me tell you how serious I think it is. I'm closing my practice for the rest of the day. I'm driving you to see a cardiologist because I don't want you behind the wheel of a car. And that got my attention. So we went to see the cardiologist. He did an external exam. We immediately crossed the street into the hospital, and he did an internal exam. And two days later, I was in bypass surgery for a 95% blockage of the left main coronary artery. Heck, my kids were six and four. Uh, I hadn't been married 10 years to my wife at that point. I mean, we really did not. My new business was three years old. My new house was one year old. I mean, we, we just didn't know what hit us. Total caught by surprise. Total caught by surprise. And, uh, you know, in 1977, which was when uh, I was 32 and had the surgery, um... We didn't have the complete information on cholesterol. In those days, if you'd asked 10 physicians about cholesterol, you'd have gotten maybe 10 different answers. Uh, (coughs) I wrote the first book in this country on diet and cholesterol, a book called Don't Eat Your Heart Out. came out in 1982 or 83 and was a huge bestseller because people were looking for information. So we were struggling with, you know, what do you do? And then um, the University of Washington opened up what's called a lipid clinic to study cholesterol. And I said to my wife, this is our answer. I'm going to go up there and go through the testing and sit down. And they hired a famous doctor from Washington, D.C. to come in and run. I said, I'll sit down with a famous doc. We'll get this all straightened out and our life will go back to, to the way it was. So I went through the testing and then I sat down with a physician and I said, now cholesterol is a problem for me, right? He said, yeah, yeah, your numbers are, are way out of sight. And I said, well, you know, should I uh, live a healthier lifestyle, eat better, exercise more, stay away from smoke, uh, handle my stress? He looked me right in the eye and he said, don't bother. He said, you're 32 years old. You have aggressive coronary disease. Frankly, I doubt you'll live to be 40. He said, if you think you're going to see those children in the waiting room graduate from high school, it's not going to happen. He said, I'm not a believer in lifestyle habits. He said, I'm a believer in DNA and in family history, and yours is not so good. So he said, go home, do anything you want to do about this diet and exercise stuff. But he said, Remember this, this is not going to end well for you. And that was the message I took home and you know I lolled around for two weeks not knowing what do you eat, you know, do you exercise? What just what do you do? Finally, my wife had had enough of it. And she said, look, you cannot change the cards that you were dealt. You're 32, you have aggressive coronary disease. We can't change that. But you can change the way that you play those cards. And I don't care what that non-advice was from the physician. We're going to eat better, exercise more, stay away from smoke. Do all of those, handle our stress, do all of those things to try to even up the odds. And I'm pleased to tell you that uh, that's exactly the way that it worked. I'm now 41 years Post-bypass, uh, the Heart Association thinks I, I may be the longest-lived survivor of bypass in the country. I did not change my parents. I changed the way that I lived. And so that's kind of at the root of the books that I write and uh, the talks that I give, trying to give people straight information and to encourage them as to how to put that information to work.
0: Now, from 1982, when you wrote Donate Your Heart Out <clears throat> to today, we've even— Learned a lot more. What have you learned since then? That that maybe has changed or reinforced what you already knew.
1: Well, we've gone through a couple of iterations with regards to diet. You know, we got cholesterol mania. Then we were supposed to all take the fat out of the diet. And today we find that sugar is more of a factor. So that's been you know a change. I think what's been what's been great. And I say it's great because it agrees with my position, (laughs) is I have always been very middle of the road. I was not a no-fat guy. I was not a high-fat guy. I was in the middle, and that's where we are now, and that's why uh, the Mediterranean diet is the most highly recommended diet. Well, I've been eating the Mediterranean diet since 1982. Uh, so I'm assuming you took out a lot of the processed foods during the Mediterranean diet. There are very little processed foods, very little fast foods. I mean, and that's the American version of it. If you eat the Mediterranean diet in Europe, you're not going to get processed or fast foods. So, uh, but, so that has been a change. Um, exercise, uh, we, we understand that moderate exercise done on a regular basis uh, is really better than a highly intense exercise done on an irregular basis. So that was a change. And I think the biggest change uh, over the course of time is the uh, enormous impact that chronic stress has on the cardiac health of individuals, both because it can act to raise your cholesterol independently, to raise your blood pressure independently. Uh, to produce a heart attack independently, but also because nothing destroys healthy eating habits more than chronic stress. You know, when you're under stress, you may know all about healthy eating, but M&Ms are lunch. Right. You know, when you're under stress, you don't go to the gym to work out because you're too tired. Well, you're not physically tired, you're mentally fatigued from the stress. And when you're under stress, you light up cigarettes, you know. So um, today, we used to just talk about diet and exercise, and to me, that was always like a two-legged stool. And if you sit on a two-legged stool, you know where you end up. Uh, but the third leg is is managing stress. And we're just now starting to understand that for years and years. Uh, medical professionals fought it because it was hard to attach a number to it. I mean, show me a cholesterol number, and I can tell you whether you're at risk or not. But stress is kind of that woo-woo-woo, you know, and uh, I think... Uh, Some of the docs were afraid we were going to have to hold hands and sing Kambayah, you know, that kind of thing. But it's
0: real. When this event happened, you said you were three years into a new business. Was the business itself stressful, or was it just
1: the fact that you were just starting the new business? No, probably both, but the business itself was stressful. uh, And uh, it was a management company, and so you were always working for entrepreneurs, who didn't mind calling you up at eleven thirty at night to go over the numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that um, was their opportunity to stress you out. Yeah. So uh, and uh, so that was stressful. Uh, that was probably where most of the stress was coming from. As soon as the book came out, uh, for my first book, "Don't Eat Your Heart Out," and it took off. I mean, we sold millions of copies of that book. Then one of the first things I did was sell my piece of that business because I recognized that it didn't do me. Um, much good to eat well and exercise regularly. If that stress level continued to be that high, we didn't have all the data then. We didn't have all the science and all the research. Today we have it, and uh, chronic stress is a is a real player. And a lot of people think, well, you're really you're, you know you should be talking to millennials, and, and and rightly so because they're they're stressed. But I talk to a lot of folks who are of retirement age. There's a huge amount of stress concerning their health, the health of their spouse, the health of their children. Their finances. Whether Their finances are yeah. going to last. Uh, all of these kinds of things uh, come into it. And so um, there are a lot of retirement age people that are carrying a lot of stress, and it's having an impact on their cardiovascular health. Having a, a multi-million seller bestseller
0: um, enabled you to probably— sell your part of the business. What about those folks who don't? What, what kind of stress relief uh, clues or, or, or help can you give them?
1: Well, well, one is, and as I say, I'm going to talk about it at the, the uh, program for Peace Health, the evening program. Um, one of the things we need to understand is that there's no such thing as a stressful event. All events are inherently neutral. They happen. They're part of life. It's the way we look at it it either creates the stress or lets us handle it so um i think no matter where the stress is coming from whether it was from a business or from you know retirement concerns um it's really a question of of looking at it and there are things that you can do i mean having a uh keeping a perspective as as i just said i i constantly remind myself there's no such thing as a stressful event it's how how am I looking at this how am I talking to myself about it but there are also simple things like uh, deep breathing exercise that some you know some people use yoga some people use Tai Chi um, I like to use deep breathing because it's simple you can do it in your car you can do it in your office it's a five minute thing you don't need to have special shoes or a uniform or join a club and it, it's extremely effective. Uh, it's almost it,
0: like a, a self-hypnosis kind of thing. Yeah, it your,
1: just relaxes your brain. And, and what the our, one of our problems today is we are just so connected all the time that the brain, you know. Uh, we um, I do a program called Six Weeks to a Healthier You. We've done it in uh, California, Nevada, Michigan, all over Washington. And I go into communities and work with them for six weeks, and we turn things around in terms of... Uh, of helping to cre- people to create and sustain healthy habits, uh, I just did one in in Michigan. We had 650 people lose 4,200 pounds. So and and a year later they were still doing it. So um, we've learned a lot from you know uh, doing those kinds of uh, programs, and uh, and and we've learned uh, uh, what works and what doesn't work. We've made some suggestions of things that just fell flat on his face but interestingly enough one of the suggestions we made that has consistently come in as one of the best things that they've done to handle their stress was turn off the evening tv news i I believe (laughs) that's true we've been we've been suggesting that for a long time but it's really the last two years that it's just exploded and i mean i can't watch the evening news without getting so uptight and um I finally came to the conclusion that um, this is not news. This is a perverted form of entertainment mm-hmm. to take the worst things that have happened in the world and run them over and over and over again. It's like you and I driving 101 and here's a, an accident. We're supposed to just keep our eyes on the road and drive past it, but we stop, slow down and look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's what they have us do slow down and then look at the ads. And so we've suggested that to people in these groups, and my God, when we did our exit interviews, consistently that has come up as the single best thing that people have done to help manage their stress. And there's a lot of other things, too. I'll get into those in the program.
0: Well, I've heard it said in in the people that I've hung around in my life that worry never changes the outcome of a situation. So worrying about it doesn't is n- never positive.
1: There's there's a difference between worry and concern. Okay, if uh, if you're uh, if I'm giving a speech in Chicago, and I'm circling O'Hare because of the weather, and I'm going to be late, I can worry about that, but I can't do anything about it. It's not going to change. Mm-hmm. If I am consistently late going to work, that's a concern. I can get up 15 minutes earlier, I can pour my Cheerios the night before, I can lay out my clothes, and I'll be on time for work. That's a concern, and you can do something about it. So I think it's important for people to really kind of understand what do they have control of and then, you know, what do they not. We all like to think we're driving the bus, and that it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't always work that way.
0: I find I just, I, my, my whole thing is, and I know it's been said a million times, just go with the flow. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I try not to let anything bother me because nothing has ever been so catastrophic that I haven't come out good right. at the end.
1: So right? why worry about it? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And uh, as I say, it's, uh, it's, it's how you speak to yourself about the whatever the incident is. I mean, you're on your way to uh, uh, an interview for a job. You get a flat tire. Okay, if your response is, oh, my God, this is terrible, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me, Mr. Brown, who is going to interview me, uh, will wonder why I'm late, he'll think that I'm a slacker, he won't hire me, I, I won't get the job, I'll never get a job, I'll be stuck the rest of my life. Okay, there's stress. But if you look at that same situation and say, well, this is unfortunate, nobody wants a flat tire on their way to an important interview, but I know Mr. Brown wants to hire me. So I'm going to call him up and say, I'm sorry, we've got a flat tire. I'm going to Uber it in. I'll be 30 minutes late, but I'm going to get that job. Totally different. Same right. Same situation,
0: totally different feeling. To yeah. See, I'm more I'm more like the kind of guy who goes, well, this happened for a reason, so maybe I wasn't supposed to get that job. You know, it's like there's always something in there. Yeah,
1: well, wh- whatever works for you, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the thing, but.
0: I'm speaking with Joe Piscatella. He is a best-selling author. He has a 41-year survivor of a bypass surgery, and he is speaking this afternoon, actually this evening, from 4 to 5 o'clock at the Florence Event Center, and that's going to be free of charge, and we're looking forward to you speaking this evening.
1: Yeah, I'm going to speak to health professionals at noon, and then uh, I'm going to speak to, uh, to the public in the evening. Uh, and the talk will be on overcoming barriers to a heart-healthy lifestyle. So I want to really identify uh, the importance of uh, making the right decisions with regards to uh, your lifestyle habits, and then uh, what gets in the way. Because, you know, for the longest time, we thought that uh, information alone, uh, that cognitive understanding would lead to behavior change. And we have the information. I mean, we know the difference between an apple and a piece of apple pie. We know the difference between going out dancing and watching Dancing with the Stars. We get it. We understand diet and exercise. So the question then is, has that understanding led us to lead a healthier lifestyle? Uh, And the answer is no. I mean, we know all of the rules for healthy eating. But um, a third of the American population eats fast food every day, seven days a week. Uh, this is a uh, country that eats 13 pizzas the size of the Roman Colosseum every day. <laughs> uh, you do the same thing. You look at uh, on the exercise. It, it looks like we might all be exercising, but it's really a myth. Americans don't exercise. What Americans do is buy exercise stuff. And I can prove it with two words, yoga pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's everybody's living in yoga pants, but nobody's, doing, not, yoga. nobody's doing yoga or working out. So um, we've got to get folks to understand how you that information alone is not enough. It's the basis. It's the foundation. You've got to have good, solid, scientifically-based information because particularly with the Internet, there's a lot of junk that's floating around. But then you've got to be able to make a commitment to put that information to work to, and to be able to sustain it so that, you know, five years from now, you're still on your walking program, you're still eating the Mediterranean diet, you're still working to relax your mind. And, um, and that's what the, the program is going to be about is, is how you do that.
0: Joe Piscatella, thank you so much for being here today. Again, your talk is this evening from four to five o'clock at the Florence Event Center. Will you have books uh, book signing?
1: Yes, we'll have uh, books available for purchase and for uh, and for signing. And I'll be available to answer questions either as the group or uh, individually. Joe yeah. Piscatella, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Up
0: next, if you've ever wanted to go to an exotic location and uh, maybe use it also as education write-off, well, we'll talk to Russ Pearson and Beth Habian next on Our Town.